Talks, a podcast production of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. The intention of DCS Talks is to promote dialogue among child welfare professionals, foster parents, and the entire community about ways to prevent child abuse and neglect. Hi there, my name is Kate Greer, and I'm a director in the Office of Training and Professional Development for the Department of Children's Services. Today, I'm speaking with Debbie Miller, who is over child stat for the department, and we wanted to find out a little bit more about child stat, including what it means and what it is designed for. So Debbie, would you introduce yourself? Hi, Kate, I'm Debbie Miller. I have been with the department since 2011 in various capacities. Currently, I am semi-retired, working part-time with the department, specifically on child stat and doing some regional support. You obviously have a lot of experience with the department, and we appreciate that and hate to see you retiring, but thank you very much for taking the time to talk about this today. Thank you. I don't know that I'm going to be very good at retirement, but I'm going to give it a try. (laughs) Give it a try. Give it a try, right? right? Well, to start with, Debbie, would you just explain a little bit about what ChildStat is? ChildStat is a DCS initiative that we began in 2019. What we noticed was a sharp rise in custody numbers, and when we analyzed the data, we discovered that the reason we had a sharp rise in custody was not that we were bringing more children into custody, but that children were staying in custody for longer periods of time. So the initiative is designed to move children to permanency safely and quickly. We focus on some data points that we know as professionals and as best practice will help move children to permanency. And I do want to focus on the safety issue. It's not just an issue of let's get more kids out of custody because you want to make sure that when they go to their permanent permanent homes that they're going to be safe and that it is a permanent home. So it sounds like there is some piece that's data driven, but it sounds like there's a big focus as well on the safety aspect of it. Exactly. We want to make sure that when we say it's a forever home, that that's exactly what it is and the child has to be safe. And there are a number of ways of exiting custody and we look at all of those options, but we really want to focus on the safety and the permanency. I've been with the department for a while too, the importance of safety, permanence, and well-being. So it sounds like child stat was kind of put in place to ensure some of that and you said that it started in 2019 that's correct so will you tell me a little bit about how are parts of child stat divided what different pieces are there within the state our state is divided into 12 regions and each of those regions has regional leadership there will be a regional administrator there will be a statewide director for juvenile justice a statewide director for child protective services a lawyer and so there's leadership within each region. In addition, we wanted each region connected with some folks from central office. And the reason for that is that the folks from central office can act as consultants and advisors to work with the region and think about what obstacles they may be facing, whether it's a challenge with a particular court or whether it's a challenge with not having enough resources in that region. And then those consultants, advisors can bring those issues back to central office. And we as regional support staff in central office can think about how we can help the regions. I will mention just for everyone's information that I actually am a child stat consultant and we kind of realized that it would be helpful to do a podcast explaining child stat to everyone. So I certainly have enjoyed my involvement with the process. Would you say, Debbie, that child stat has been successful in doing what we wanted it to do? Yes. And let me explain that. What we started with is the consultants and advisors meeting 
meeting with regions and developing some metrics, some data points that we know help move children to permanency. And we collect that data and we feed that data back to the regions. So for example, you might look at things like children who come into custody for 60 days or less. And then we think, well, maybe the child didn't need to come into custody. So what could we have offered that family or offered the court so that the child could have avoided a custodial episode? And we track that data. Initially, when child stats started, we saw a great deal of gains. We saw a, a lot of cases being closed out. We saw a lot of focus on prevention work. We saw a lot of teaming with people reviewing cases and thinking about creatively, how could you move this child to permanency quicker? And then, as we all know, we had a pandemic. The pandemic impacted child stat in a number of ways. Courts closed down. Staff weren't able to make in-person visits. Even trial home visits and visits with parents became very difficult because of the pandemic. So we kept doing the work, but then as COVID began to lift some of the restrictions, we began to see another influx of kids coming into custody. The regions have data that they can reliably use, and they know that by focusing on certain metrics, they can make a difference. That has been enormously successful. And in terms of having central office teamed with the regions and the regional leadership teamed together to all focus on moving kids to permanency, that has been enormously successful. And I think you have to measure success in a lot of ways. It's not just did our custody numbers go down, it's are we doing a better job of delivering services and preventing custody and moving kids into permanent homes. And to that extent, I think it has been successful. Nobody could have foreseen a global pandemic. It certainly is the first in my lifetime. And I think that it affected social services and the delivery of services a great deal. So I would imagine that with the pandemic, you had come up with data points, but I'm sure that had an effect on all of that and how the, we need to view that data. Exactly. So we have, as we've moved through this process, we've been working on child stat for a little over 18 months now. So as we move through this process, we understand how we use the data and what metrics actually work for us and what metrics don't. So we've added and subtracted metrics. We've tinkered with it a little bit as we learn more about it. So I would say it's an ongoing process and we continue to learn from it, but we also continue to connect it to other pieces of our work, like the Child and Family Service Review and with our Council on Accreditation. And so we continue to connect child stat to those areas of our work and we do see good payoffs there. We see places where we can make those connections and help staff really understand that it seems like a small thing to go visit a child face-to-face -face and look at the home, but it can really make a difference in terms of when does that child get to actually go home or how are we going to make the decision that this is not going to be a permanent home, that we need to be looking for other options. That was one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, whether child stat was a living process and had it been adjusted um, from what we initially thought it would be. Exactly. We have adjusted it a good bit, sometimes because the regions tell us we get this data from another source and so we really don't look at it on the child stat. But if we had this information, then that would be more helpful. Most recently, we added some information about the number of children placed in congregate care by age groupings. And that's important because as the department moves into Family First, that's one of the metrics that Family First is going to use is how many kids are in congregate care because we know that children reach permanency faster when they are in a home-like environment with parents, either through a trial home visit or in kinship care. So tracking and getting baselines and understanding how our practice impacts things like congregate care, 
things like non-custodial cases and how long they stay open. All of that's important and we learn from it every day. So a child site could still grow in a variety of directions based on where we go as the department? I think so. And again, it's the commissioner and the regions are the ones who actually drive this process because based on the strategic plan of the department and the goals of the department, then that tells us where we need to go and tells us how we need to operate within that framework. And then the regions, of course, have to tell us what data they can use, what data is helpful, and then how to present that data to them. I think originally when we came up with the child stat tracker, we presented things in terms of percentages. What percentage of your children have been in custody longer than 15 months? But what the regions told us is we don't want just percentages. We want raw numbers because if you've got 45 children and you're showing me 50% of them, that's a different raw number than you've got 500 kids and 50% of them. So we want raw numbers in addition to percentages. So they tell us all the time what is helpful to them and how they can use the data. So what I'm hearing is that this isn't a report to send out. It sounds like there's been a lot of teaming involved on what data is collected and the importance of it. Yes, there's a lot of teaming. And the other thing I would like to say about the Child Stat Tracker is we made it very clear from the beginning that this is not a report card. It's not a report that comes out once a month and says, oh, look, you're doing bad at this. It's a tracker. And that's exactly what it's designed to be. We are tracking particular indicators. We can track and trend them. We can show you how kids are moving through the system, how the courts have responded to COVID. And then you can look at your data and understand that there are natural times during the year when more children are going to come into care and more children are going to leave care. And part of that is around school systems and holiday seasons and things like that. But on any given month, it's not a report card to say, oh, you failed. It's just a way of tracking your data and making sure that you know what's going on and you know why it's going on. And I think that's been one of the biggest outcomes in our reports with the commissioner is for the regions to explain to the commissioner not just what our numbers are, but why our numbers look this way. What is it that's impacting those numbers? Because it's our job as leaders in central office to make sure that the regions have the resources and support that they need in order to meet the needs of the children and the families in their region. And I think it's so important for the regions to understand that is what is being asked of them. How can we help you? What do you need? Because I think, like you mentioned, that is a whole lot different than feeling like there is a report card or a pass-fail attitude around it. Exactly. And I can give you a really good example. I meet with all of the regions once a month, and almost every region would say, well, we can't file a termination for rights on this case because we don't have an out-of-state birth certificate. And it may only be one or two that they don't have that has been delayed for some reason out of some state. But if you look at 12 regions, and every region has two or three or four, you're talking about 50, 60 kids. So we kind of pulled together in central office and said, can we get a point person in central office that can really track down these birth certificates and help the regions? Because that's a very important thing. If you can't get a birth certificate, then that child is staying in custody day after day after week after week just because we can't get a hold of a piece of paper. And the regions would say, I thought I was the only one that couldn't get birth certificates. Like, no, you're not the only one. So when you have a problem, we need to talk about it in the larger context of if you've got a problem, chances are other regions have the same problem. So let's talk about that. I think it's so easy when leading a region to have a challenge and within the day to day that it just doesn't even necessarily occur to you, like you said, that other people are having the same challenge too. And what would happen if we came together and looked for solutions to this? Exactly. And I mentioned earlier in this 
conversation that there are several avenues to permanency. And one is subsidized permanent guardianship, where a child goes and lives with a relative or fictive kin, and they receive some money to help them raise this child and pay for essential things that children need as they grow up. And in some regions, that's a very common type of exit, where they talk to the relatives, the aunt, the uncle, the grandparents, whoever, about, we don't want to terminate rights on this child and their parent, because the parent may be going through a tough time, but we can help subsidize the cost if you're willing to help raise this child. And other regions that never consider that option. And so we've been able to help regions reach out to other regions that do things really well and let them learn from that region. How do you do this? How do you bring up that conversation? What are the benefits? How can we improve our rates on that? We've also been able to help with the courts and the lawyers. We have lawyers from central office that sit in on these regional reviews. And when they hear a regional lawyer talk about a particular court that may not be docketing cases fast enough, they can say, oh, let me help you with that. We'll reach out to the judge. We'll talk to the judge and explain things. So there's been a lot of sharing of information among regions and a lot of problem solving back and forth. So when I say regional support, that's exactly what I think my job is to make sure that the regions are getting the support from whatever area of central office they need, that we make sure that they get that support so that they can help their children and families. Well, and all of us can be well-meaning and have family members that go through a challenging situation. But bottom line is that raising children is expensive. And so I'm glad to hear that we have some methods to assist people if that is what is holding them back from taking children and also that we're sharing that among the region. Exactly. And I think the other thing that's important through the child stat process is that as we've identified areas of the state, particularly rural areas that simply don't have as many resources sometimes as the urban areas do. For example, they don't have outpatient drug and alcohol treatment. So the parent either has to travel several hours to go get treatment and then what do they do with their infant child? Who's going to care for that child? So sometimes kids come into custody because parents need treatment or need support. But actually, if they had those resources available in their county, in-home services like Intercept and things like that go into the home and stabilize family situations. When we're able to communicate that to the commissioner, but also to our finance director and to the different program areas, it helps DCS be able to build a budget and justify to the governor and to the legislature why we need more resources and how those dollars and resources can be utilized in the region. So it really helps with collecting that kind of information, that kind of data. I think you are familiar with the Safe Baby Courts and Safe Baby Courts serve families that have addiction problems or domestic violence problems. So having resources in those regions can be helpful, those Safe Baby Courts, but you have to have money to fund those. So being able to show through our data and child stat what kind of services we need has been very helpful in terms of directing resources to the right areas. That makes a lot of sense to me because you're right, I'm familiar with Safe Baby Courts. And you know, I'm also familiar with a lot of areas in the state of Tennessee and I understand the degree to which the services and resources available vary so much across the state. Exactly. Let me ask you this, Debbie. You mentioned the commissioner and the region's meeting with the commissioner, and obviously she is a big part of any efforts that we take on department-wide and is our leader. Will you tell me a little bit about the meetings between regions and the commissioner? Sure. While I meet and the consultants and advisors meet with their regions monthly, and I meet with every region, all 12 regions monthly, we have quarterly report outs to the commissioner. So we'll set up video conference or in-person meetings 
meetings where the regional team comes together at all those directors that I mentioned and the regional attorney. And they basically sit with the commissioner for an hour, hour and a half, and they discuss their data with her. They discuss the progress they've made. She asked them very good questions about what kind of resources do you need and how can we help you? And it would be helpful to me as the commissioner if I knew more about this. And so they have that one-on-one dialogue with the commissioner so that she is staying in touch with the regions. And I think these quarterly meetings have been very important, particularly during the pandemic, because if the commissioner can't travel to get out to the region, then one great option is for them to video conference together. So we do that on a very structured schedule to make sure that she has the time to sit down with each region and really dig into their data and understand what challenges they're facing. And she can't know what she doesn't know. So it sounds like that ChildStat has been really instrumental in her having the information that she needs to have for decision making in the department. Exactly. And the senior leaders are also invited to sit in on those meetings, the general counsel and our finance director and the other deputy commissioners. So they all get to hear it at the same time that the commissioner does. And they get a better sense of what they need to do to help their particular program area. So I think it's very collaborative and it is teaming at all different levels from the regional level all the way up to central office. So where is the data generated within DCS? Can you help me and the listeners understand a little bit where it comes from? All of our data comes from TFACS, from our centralized computer system, but it requires a great deal of effort on the part of a team of people led by Neil Bortz to pull the data from different areas within TFACS. So if, for example, we're talking about trial home visits, how many children are on trial home visits on the social services end and how many are on trial home visits from the juvenile justice end. So it seems like a really simple data point, right? You go in, you look into TFACS and say, tell me everybody that's on trial home visit and what percentage of that is the total number of kids in care. Well, it's not that simple. So now you have to take out of the total number of kids in care, the number of kids who are not eligible for trial home visit. How many of those are full guardianship? How many of those kids are on a determinate sentence within JJ? How many of those kids have court orders that don't allow them to have contact with their parents right now? So it takes a lot of people who understand TFACS much better than I do to go in and collect the data, double check it to make sure it's right, and then put it onto a tracking form. So they pull the data the first of every month, which puts obviously the onus on the region. If you want an accurate count of how many kids do you have in custody on the last day of the month, then if a child exited custody on that day, you need to make sure you enter that into TFACS because otherwise it's not going to show up on your data. So there's a good deal of partnership between the region and the folks who pull our data and publish it are just incredibly good at understanding TFACS and how it works. It's a very robust computer system. It has just a huge amount of data, but you have to know how to be able to pull it out so that it makes sense and present it in a very, I don't want to say simple form because the staff that uses it are very clearly sophisticated at using TFACS data, but break it down and put it into a form that they can use. So not only do they get how many kids are on trial home visit that are eligible for trial home visit, they'll get a list of those kids and they can go through and look at every child, every case and say, yes, that one is, yes, that one is, oops, no, this is a mistake. Let's go back and correct that. And the same thing goes for longevity, kids who are in care over 15 months, kids who are in family foster homes versus in contract foster homes. Behind every piece of data that comes out on the tracker are pages and pages of detail that provides the region with the names of every child and where we pulled that data from, where they pulled that data from, so that they can go in and check and make sure that 
the data is correct. And if they need to do an in-depth review on a particular case, they know exactly which cases they need to do in-depth reviews on. So in terms of data, it certainly is not just pressing a button. It sounds like collection of the data and presentation is very strategic in nature. It's very strategic, very complex. And somebody will say, you know, on the tracker, well, can we present it this way? Can we just break it out by age group? And then I have to look at the folks who pull the data and say, well, how long is it going to take you to do that? Because you've just made a, a significant change in the way we pulled that and the way we report it. So again, though, I can't say enough about Neil and his team because they've been very responsive whenever the region has asked for something. And when we've seen a need to change a way that we report or in a way that we change a benchmark, we have benchmarks for all of our data elements. We say, here's the statewide average. Here's where you fall on the statewide average. But here's where we think the state needs to be. So you can look at your region and say, oh, I'm doing better than the statewide average. But actually, if I could change that percentage two more points, I would be where I need to be for the child and family service review target that we're trying to meet. As I said, the regions are very sophisticated at reading their data and they understand it and they understand how it interacts with almost everything that they do on a daily basis. Sounds like it gives us statewide trends, which obviously is very important to our practice, but also any regional trends. And would you say that challenges in different regions are different? In other words, do you see a lot of variation across the state in what the challenges are and what the strengths are within different areas? Yes. And some of that is when you work in a large multi-county region like Mid-Cumberland, you're dealing with a lot of different judges, a lot of different courts, and even within the courts, there'll be magistrates. And you have to know every one of those courts and know what that court's looking for. And you have to know what resources are available. So a large multi-county region might have one or two judges that come from a county or area where there are very few resources. So they end up putting a lot of kids into custody while we're getting in-home services put in or while we're developing services around that child and family. In other areas, when you have particularly the four major metropolitan areas, there's only one court in Memphis. There's only one court in Davidson County. And so it's generally easier in the larger courts to get cases docketed. If you're trying to do a termination of parole rights, if you're trying to get a child into an adoption, it's generally easier to get things docketed because it's one court, multiple magistrates, and you pretty much know the philosophy of that court and you know what that court's going to look like. I had a meeting with a single county region today and they said we have one attorney that does all of our TPRs and all of our adoptions and that attorney knows the judge very well and knows what the judge is going to look for and, and how to present cases. But when you have multiple attorneys and multiple courts and multiple judges, then the issues are very different. So yes, every region has regional variations. I think one of the main reasons that we've told them repeatedly, this is not a report card. You know your region better than anybody else. You know the challenges of your region and you know how best to move these kids through the system that is in existence in your region. So you have to measure yourself against you're making progress and you can show us the action steps on your strategic plan and what you've done and how that's helped you get to where you think that you are moving kids to permanency safely and as fast as they possibly can because you don't want a child to grow up in foster care not knowing who their permanent family is or going to be. So that permanency is a very important part of it. So yes, a lot of regional differences. Lots of regional differences and we discussed teaming within the department. It sounds to me like one of the things that is important about this effort and certainly permanency for children is teaming with various agencies and entities in the community as well. Yes. And of course, we have a number of private
relationship providers that we work with for adoption services and foster care services and kids who are in congregate care and contract foster homes. And every one of those partners plays a part in this because they all have to be on the team. They all have to understand what it takes in order to get a child into that permanent home. This is very helpful, Debbie. I very much appreciate you meeting and discussing this today. I think that it's going to really help people department-wide understand child stat a little bit better, why it's in place, what it tracks. Is there anything else that you would mention about child stat in closing? I think that for the future of child stat, and I get that a lot, that question a lot through the regions, is this something that's going to always be around and be here forever because we've been working on this process? And the answer is, it depends. But I think that the process itself of providing data to regions in a format that is easily accessible for them and gives them the data that they need at their fingertip is something that should stay with us. Prior to ChildStat, we had a lot of reports being generated by TFACS, but if you were regional leadership and you depended on six reports on a monthly basis, you would have to go into TFACS and pull those reports yourself. And then if you needed specific data from that report, you would have to filter that data to get it down to, if I want to know how many kids in my region entered and exited within 60 days, how many different reports do I have to pull and how many times do I have to filter it? So the regions themselves were doing a lot of that work. And so we've kind of taken that off of them, done it for them, Neil and his team have, and we feed that data back to them. They know they're going to get it on or about the eighth day of the month. They plan their meetings around getting that tracker and being able to sit down as a team and look at it and see how did we do and where are we going and look at our strategic plan and see what we're working on. So it may not always be called child stat. It may take on another format, but I think the process of having metrics and being able to give those metrics and the data to the regions in a format that they find useful. And I tell them that all the time. This is not about us in central office. This is about you and what you need. I think that will probably stay around for a long time. It's been a very positive addition to the department. And having been with the department for a while, I know how integral your leadership has been to getting this report together, making sure that it is what is needed and going in the right direction. So I just want to recognize that as well, because I know that it is certainly not an easy report to continually meet on, but it sounds like it is so positive and so helpful to the department that I just really want to acknowledge your work on it and thank you for that too. Oh, thank you, Kate. It's been a pure pleasure. I mean, I've always uh, been up for a new challenge and when the commissioner and I sat down and talked about this, particularly as I was approaching the end of my professional career, I thought, you know, that's a real positive thing to be able to work on and lead with the department that you can eventually one of these days I'll retire for sure, for real, and be able to look back and say, you know, we did some good things. We we made a, a significant difference. So it's been my pleasure and I have been honored to be allowed to, to work on this for the last couple of years. So thank you. Well, I think it's not insignificant for any of us to be able to leave a little bit of a legacy on the department and you have done that. So again, I appreciate very much your efforts on this and I appreciate as well so much you taking the time. I know you're very busy to speak with us for a few minutes today. Thanks, Kate. I appreciate it. 